That if it were po- you may be seated, if you can. <laughs> Obviously, you can't be seated. I must say, if the time of worship and music were able to change us in itself, we'd be in great, great shape this morning. But that's not the case. And uh, I want to talk to you, I want to start a series this morning on the book of Galatians. I want to talk about what it means to be free, to really experience the freedom in Christ. And I've been hanging around you for 11 years now and hanging around myself for 56, and I know that we're not experiencing, we're not practicing the freedom in Christ that we should be, that we can be. Not all of us, but many of us are not. I don't think most of us really understand our Christianity. I, I think that we don't understand the way God relates to our living. We don't understand what Christ has done to make our new way of life possible. We don't know how that new way of life works. One of the great verses out of Galatians is Galatians 5.1, which really establishes the theme of the whole epistle. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Isn't that great? Many of us don't really understand that freedom. We don't understand what he has set us free from. And it says in the text, as a result of that, stand firm. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It would be great to think that when we came to know Christ, all of us experienced in the fullness the freedom we have in Christ, and we lived it out. But obviously, the Apostle Paul was encountering something quite different than that, and expresses to us down through the ages that you're experiencing something quite different than that. That's why he says, stand firm. He wouldn't give this second part of the verse, if it were not possible, to fall back to let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. There is this picture in that, that that in fact, Christ wants you to be free and you you are in danger every day of your lives of of going back, of being burdened again by the the yoke of of slavery to the, the past things that had enslaved you. Now that yoke may be a word that doesn't conjure up much of an image to you and it's kind of an agricultural description and here I am straying into an area that I have no real understanding of, but it was those, you know, that wooden, big, heavy-duty stuff that they put on an ox to tie it to another ox. It was a yoke, you know. And the picture is to be burdened again with that when Christ has set us free. Many of us, of course, are significantly unaware of what Christ has freed us from. But Christ has freed us from the way we used to live. The way that we try like crazy, by the way, to live all over again. Because that's the way we were used to living. And then we just try to see if we can add Jesus to our life. It doesn't work that way. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, Christ gave himself for your sins to free you, and here it is, from this present evil age. That's what we've been set free from. But I want to take uh, the next number of weeks as we 
try to do a really thorough presentation of the book of Galatians and really dig deeply into this text and understand what it means to be rescued from this present evil age and what it means to live rescued and what it means to really be free in Christ. So I I have a couple of questions for you this morning as we launch into this. Are you enjoying the freedom Christ has made possible or are you burdened again by that yoke of slavery? Now I want to, I've, I want to um, caution you that we're going to go very quickly. This is an introduction this morning to the, the, the letter in many ways, although we're going to dig into a text, but, but it's an introduction in many ways. I'm going to go quickly over some things. Some things you already know. Some things will be new for others and say, I can't write that down that fast. Listen, um, you can pick up the, the expanded notes at the office. You can get them online. You can, um, yeah, I guess that's the two ways you can get them. Um, <laughs> They're, they're make, so I've given Krista a heads up that some people might be lining up getting expanded notes because they couldn't write fast enough. Listen, just listen to what God has for you today. Don't be too concerned about getting all this down because I've given you a, a long survey in your bulletin uh, called the Freedom Survey. And the source, of course, is Barna and Baker. George Barna and Rick Baker teamed up. Now, I don't think George knows we teamed up, but... But uh, I took some of this from a survey he did, but I thought it, it was a little inadequate. So I added some of my own things. And uh, I, I want to say to you this morning that you may be missing the point if any of the following resonate with how you feel about things. But before we go any further, I want to make sure that we are totally depending upon the Lord for this. So let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, to plumb the depths of this book, Galatians, we need the great and grand wisdom of, the Lord of, of, of our Lord and our God. I pray this morning, Father, that you would visit us in a powerful way as we have the Word of God open before us and this, this so vital issue that Christ died on a cross, was buried and rose again on the third day that we might be set free and our Father, we, we want to apologize. We, we've been asking you to forgive us all morning this morning because we have so much to ask you to forgive us for. And forgive us, Lord, for being burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Lord, I, I just have experienced so much of it in my own life, in, in the life of the people I serve with, the, 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 the reality of, of the church life and Christians. Father, we're not set free. We don't know what it means to be free. We don't know what it feels to be free. We have so allowed ourselves by default to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, various slaveries. Lord, release us from that. Teach us to, through this, this uh, letter from the Apostle Paul. Lord, teach us to embrace it and to welcome it. And Lord, I pray that we will be so transformed by this. I pray that, that Lord, at the end of this series, we will not be the same as we are. I pray that you will, do, you will sweep through this con- congregation in ways that has never happened before with a liberation of the Spirit of God that will um, ignite the power of God among us in ways we have never experienced before. Father, we know that you're knocking at the door. We know that you're bumping up against us and asking for us to live with this kind of freedom that you might do the powerful work you want to do. And Lord, I'm just asking on behalf of these people that I love so much in the Lord that you would grant us a a new and a fresh experience of living this out. Freedom in Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here are the possibilities 
whereby you may, if you resonate with any of these things, you, yourselves, are probably missing the point of freedom in Christ. The Christian life is well summed up as trying to do what God commands. Now, by the way, in Barna's research of the evangelical community, 82% of evangelical Christians said they agreed with this statement. Obviously, you know I don't. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder we struggle so much. We send each other so many foolish letters and emails that make no sense and battle with each other and gripe and complain. It's these statements. I feel like I don't measure up to God's expectations of me. Rigid rules and strict standards are or have been at one time an important part of the life and teaching of my church. I am motivated to serve God more out of a sense of guilt and obligation rather than joy and gratitude. Freedom to me means I can do anything the Bible doesn't forbid. If I sin, I am forgiven. So I just keep on asking for forgiveness and God is obligated to forgive. I am free to be forgiven. The faith I'm committed to is about Christian liberty. What I do is nobody else's business but my own. It seems like anything and everything goes in the average evangelical church today. I don't like it. Whatever happened to separation from the world? It was easier when we all kept the same rules. You knew who the real Christians were. I don't know anymore what is okay and not okay. Just give me a list of do's and don'ts. Now, I doubt any of us escaped. If we did, marvelous. But these are just a sampling of the the possible ways that that we have not embraced in our lives the freedom that Christ wants us to have. Now, in this discussion of freedom living, the freedom you are living out, it is is characterized in one of three ways, and only one of them is right. You are either trying harder in your Christian life, and, and that literally is adding something to Christ and His power, Adding back your own strength or your own determination to be good. Burdened all over again by your own failure to measure up to God. Or you are taking advantage of God's grace, which is subtracting something of the truth of the gospel. Saying in some ways that you uh, have cast off all restraint in your life because you can. You're set free by Christ. Everything is permissible. Well, let me ask you, is it permissible to sin? Is everything beneficial? How do you know the difference? How do you know what's the right standard of how you should live? Or the third possible way you're living is living by faith in the Son of God. Living in the strength of Christ alone. Now, by the way, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, another one of the key verses of Galatians tells us that I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. You ought to write your own name in that. I've underscored it in my Bible. I've underscored the I. Rick has been crucified with Christ. And Rick no longer lives. But Christ lives in him. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, it says right in the text that we are called to live by faith in the Son of God. Of God. 
So there are three ways to live. We are living either by trying harder, adding back into the formula after starting out with Christ, adding back into the formula our old methods and strategies and all of that, which is adding to the gospel. Or we are casting off all restraint, which is subtracting from the gospel. Or we are living by faith in the Son of God, Christ alone. Now, um... Depending on how long you weren't a Christian, or how long you have been rejecting or fighting the Holy Spirit's control in your life, will determine what is fundamentally shaping your life, or who is fundamentally shaping your life. We have traditionally been shaped to live in the body by rules, by natural desires and cravings, by cultural expectations, by religious standards, by self-discipline, by your own strengths and strategies. This is how we learned to live. Before Christ, we were, all, we were living by rules or natural desires or cultural expectations or religious standards or self-discipline or, or our own strengths and strategies. And we were enslaved... To one or several of these things. This is how we try to live. This is how we try to be good. This is how we try to keep standards. This is how we try to interact with one another and how we try to relate to one another. These are the ways that have, these are the things that have shaped fundamentally how we live in the body, which are in complete contrast to what Galatians teaches what it means to be free, what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ, what it means to have a relationship with Christ. We are now called to live by faith, not by rules, not by natural desires, not by cultural expectations, not by religious standards, not by self-discipline, not by our strengths and our strategies. We've been called to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, the Son of God. This whole list of rules, natural desires, cultural expectations, religious standards, our own strength, our own self-discipline, is not how Christianity works. But from my experience in the Christian community for 56 years, it is the method of choice. We try to live by rules, by our natural self-discipline, by our own human strategies, by our religious standards, depending on which religious standards you came from, by the cultural expectations of the group of people that we were raised among, by our own strategies that regularly failed us. And the Apostle Paul is going to tell us in Galatians, if you do that, Christ died in vain for you. And sometimes we waver back and forth. Guilty. You know, we um, live by faith in Christ with respect to the easy things of life. But when the going gets really tough, when the temptations are really bearing down on us, we default. We default to the old strategies. We default to the old ways. We become burdened again by that yoke of slavery whereby we try to succeed In the Christian walk, by one of those old standards and rules and ways and strategies. 
and we fail. Now, um, there are two very significant questions that we have to ask as we begin this series about our own life and about the life of our church. Because I consider this a great time in our ministry together to, to have a course correction if we need it. And I suspect we do. The two questions are these. Has Christ been pushed to the side of your life? Or the life of our church? I mean, can we do all of this without Jesus? And don't answer too quickly. Has the Spirit been neglected in the formation of our lives, our plans, our practices, etc.? I mean, I mean, in your own life, are you allowing your spiritual life to be managed by traditions of the past? Are you managing what is right and wrong by what you are used to? Do you say you don't need to consult with Christ because you'll just feel whether something is good or bad? I, I just have an innate feel. I, I don't really need to go to the Lord. I, I just can tell when something's good or bad. Do you have no ambition, no conviction about the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you? As Pastor Kelvin mentioned, I think Pastor Steve prayed. Do we come here and have no passion for the Lord and what he's done for us? Is there no chasing away of sin in our lives? We just sin indiscriminately, just sin over and over and over again. Are, are we overreacting to the hyper-fundamentalism that some of us grew up in? And so we're just cutting loose? Is there a form of godliness here or in my life that lacks the power of God? I want to just give you a summary quickly of where I think the book of Galatians is going to take us. It's a Calvary course correction. And by the way, um, one of the things that our team has been about for the last 11 years that I've been here anyway, is fighting for your freedom in Christ. And I am going to keep fighting for your freedom in Christ. I, I will not stop fighting for your freedom in Christ because this is what Christ has given to you. And I want you to have what Christ has given to you. I want our church to have what Christ has given to us in its fullest form. And we're going to fight for it. Whatever practices distract from the all-sufficiency of Christ and the enabling ministries of the Spirit alone, they must be opposed. Whatever cultural practices build walls between people who believe in Jesus Christ must be torn down. Whatever practices seek to supplement trust in Christ and dependence on the Holy Spirit must be cleared away. To be freed from our old dependencies that still dog us Every day of our lives, strategies that failed us, strategies that were sending us to hell in the first place. Why would we go back to those strategies? Why would we default to them? As Paul writes in his letter, you're so quickly deserting the God who saved you. Now, I know why some of us have rigidly adhered to some of these things. And why they've been foisted upon us in our lives. 
there has been a general insecurity among us that God is capable of looking after us. It's been the history of God's people that, that, that people think they need to help God. And, and so we have established artificial things because we had a lack of confidence in Christ alone to take care of those he called into his family. We have a decided lack of confidence in the Holy Spirit alone to transform us that, that, that God who placed people in his family could actually grow us, could actually prevent us from sinning, could actually cause us to, to worship him and honor him. We've had a decided lack of confidence in God. And I want to tell you what I'm absolutely convicted of with 100% certainty. When a person lives in the Spirit, that person does everything God wants. And when a person lives according to the leading of the Spirit, that person will always do the fullness of God's will. I am not committed to any denominational trappings or traditions or all of that stuff. I have no confidence in any of those things. I have no confidence in anything from the past in my own life. I have no confidence from anything that I've experienced over the years that hasn't been of God. I have no confidence in any of this stuff. But I have absolute, 100% confidence in the living Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit to change the people that he calls into his own family. I have 100% confidence in that. And that absolutely must pervade everything about your life and the life of Calvary Baptist Church. It must be our confidence in Jesus Christ, our confidence in the Holy Spirit alone. And that's what I'm going to fight for because I believe that so passionately Christ has given this to us. Now let me just take you into the text very briefly this morning and and quick... um, We'll do a quick survey of, of a few verses in the front here so we can get ourselves launched into this text. By the way, um, uh, I'm going to do a more, uh, 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 some more application tonight. So if, if you can't come back tonight, can I encourage you to get the CD, uh, the DVD, well, no, it's just the CD. Here I go again, just expressing all kinds of possibilities. You could get the CD. What else could you get? You could go online. You could iPod me. Is that right, Dwayne? Could iPod me? No, what could you do? You could, what could you do? You could iTune me. You could iTune me, couldn't you? No. No, help me out here, brother. Just, you know, better off to come tonight. You could podcast me. Yes! I am so technically savvy, it's incredible. So... I want to encourage you, because we're doing more, more application about this stuff, and I really want to kick this off right. So, listen, let me, let me just, add, under the question, what shapes your life? Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, 1 to 9. Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ. Hang on every word, would you please, beloved? Hang on every word here. And God the Father... Who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Galatia is between Paul's home in Tarsus and the early church in Antioch. Geographically the southern center of Turkey. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel and have been for century upon century. Not in the text. Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned or accursed or devoted to destruction, anathema, or go to hell. This is raw stuff, folks. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Teachers, beware. What shapes your life? One of two things. Either the real gospel or this present evil age. That's what's shaping your life. One of the two. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ or this present evil age? Are you trying to morally shape your own life with human willpower and determination? Are you trying to be good by adding good things to your life? Are you staying within the boundaries of yesteryear? Not that there's anything wrong with yesteryear. But yesteryear is a very bad superintendent of your spiritual life. Trying to please God for, by good activities? Listen, the good news, the gospel is not a celebration of reformed human behavior where people look at each other and say, I'm glad that guy finally got his act together. He's really trying to do better, like some sort of spiritual diet. It's not the same thing as when we walk around at at our workplace and say, he's really trying to reform his life, you know. Look at him, he's lost 50 pounds. He's an amazing guy. Look what he's done. He's he's done all of that. Or or look what she's done. She's she's, uh, tried to discipline herself in this particular area of life by by her strength and resolve and, and willpower. Isn't it amazing what she has done? This is a great human reform. This is not what we're talking about at all when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're talking about in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the real gospel. is a divine intervention into your life. Whereby your strategies of human behavior and reform failed you. And Paul is saying to the people, and you're so quickly deserting... The one who saved you and returning to all of those strategies that failed you. Why do you do that? Jesus claims, Jesus' claim on your life is his total control. This is not minor reform we're talking about. This is a universal overhaul of your soul. It requires divine attention every day, every minute, every second. You, you, none of us can afford to give God a vacation from our lives for even a minute, for even a second. This is all about Christ. This is not about, about the Lord God fixing the car of your life and then saying to you, hey, you know what, everything's good now, it's all, all well, 
take the car for a spin, take it for a drive, and, and give me a call if anything breaks down. No, no, this is about God saying, listen, I have fixed the car of your life, and I want you to know something. Don't you even think about touching the driving, the steering wheel again. Don't you even think about putting your foot on the gas pedal again. In fact, don't you even sit there. I want you to move over, and I'm driving the car of your life for the rest of your life. You've already proven to me before I came into your life. You already proved to me before that you weren't capable of driving the car of your life. You weren't capable of being at the steering wheel. You should have never had your foot on the gas pedal. And I'm telling you, don't even think about touching it again ever. That's Christianity. That's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing some sort of hybrid. That's not what he's called us to do, to live. We can't be trusted with our own lives. This God-made truth, the gospel, in contrast to what Paul says, he's saying, I didn't come to you with man-made stuff. I didn't come to you from man, or I didn't come to you by man. I came to you from God. This God-made truth is not to be debated It's not to be deliberated on. It's not to be tampered with. Disagreeing with this God-made truth is not dialogue, Paul says. It's heresy. We're not not invited to say, well, let's just have a discussion on these things about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's have a discussion on on, on, uh, whether or not we can have Jesus Christ and and include all of these other things to try and... uh, uh, strengthen our, our, our way of responding to God, of pleasing God. No, Paul's not saying this is debatable stuff. He's saying, we're not going to dialogue about this stuff. If you think that, it's heretical. That's what he says. And he uses really strong, ter- strong terminology. If anybody's propo- proposing that, and by the way, for most of us, we, we've, we've had a steady diet whether it be our friends or people around us or, or other teachers or whatever who have been confusing us, perverting the gospel, teaching us to desert the Lord and rely on our own strengths and strategies. Paul says people like that should be eternally condemned. The real gospel is not only a divine intervention. The real gospel is an undeserved buyout with powerful results. God has got you out of a very bad situation. Got me out of a very... Do we understand that? We, we couldn't have bought ourselves out with good behavior. Why do we think that, that somehow we can please God with our good behavior? That if I just go to church all of the time, or I read my Bible all of the time, or I do this, or I give to the poor, I do all that. I can buy myself out of trouble. It's like we think this is some sort of Christianity, some sort of penitentiary where we're... We're in a certain, uh, we have a certain sentence upon us for a number of years, and with good behavior, we'll get out of prison. No, Christ has set us free at salvation. We don't buy ourselves. He bought us out of a very bad situation. That's what the gospel is. Jesus Christ bought us out of something, a debt we couldn't possibly have paid for. So why, oh why, when we start out trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ to save us and to rescue us out of that. Why do we go back? Why are we burdened by that yoke again of thinking that now I can grow myself by my own strength 
I, I, can, I can grow myself. As long as I can put enough rules around my life, I can be pleasing to God. Why would we go back to that? This Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Now, I want to tell you quickly about the, buyout, the, the, the value of this buyout. Look what it says here in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present... What's that mean? What's that look like? The potency of Christ's forgiveness has not only reconciled us, but it's enabled us to be kept from returning to evil. That's what it means. When we think of God forgiving us, we think of him reconciling us with the Father. We think, thanks, the relationship is restored. Thank you, Lord. The forgiveness is far more powerful than that. This forgiveness that has been granted to us enables us to have the power resident in us to be rescued for good from the present evil age, from the things, the strategies, the standards, the rules, all the things that couldn't save us, all the things that can't grow us. We've been rescued from all of that. That's what the forgiveness means to us. So if you are forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, you have been rescued and set free from the impact, the effect, the implications of this present evil age. If you're accessing it, if you're embracing it, if you're not allowing yourself to be burdened again by it. Now, um, Jesus mentions in the... um, the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of Matthew, where he's teaching on prayer. He says, um, if you do not forgive as you've been forgiven, if you do not forgive your brother or your sister, you will not be forgiven. Now, do you know what the implications of that are? I mean, if you're harboring bitterness in your heart, if you're harboring unforgiveness in your life, What it means is you've taken yourself out of the provision of this forgiveness. Which means you've taken yourself out of the empowerment to be able to resist the power of this present evil age. Which explains why often Christians are so sucked into sinfulness. There are things in their lives whereby they've taken themselves out of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to change them, to transform them, to grow them. That's what the text means. That's what the potency of this forgiveness is all about in our lives. Thirdly, the real gospel is a radical life-shaping or life-reshaping that passionately rejects man-made goodness in favor of life shaped by divine power. Christianity is a changed life by trusting in Christ alone. It's not about some sort of intellectual agreement to teachings. It's not just mental assent to core values. It for sure isn't migrating from grace to merit. From Christ as all-sufficient to not sufficient. From absoluteness of the grace of God to personal religious supplements. We're going to talk about this as we get into this series and understand the nature of these things. But let me just say as an introductory general comment that anything in your life that adds to or gets in the way of formation, spiritual formation by grace alone, must be energetically opposed 
it's taken me a long time in my Christian life to realize that I am shaped by my relationship with Jesus Christ. I am shaped by the vitality at any given moment of my relatedness to Christ and not by the rigors of good activity. Oh, I find that so hard to deal with in my life because I gravitate to the rigors of activity. I would prefer to be... I, this is in my human foolishness. I always think I would prefer to be rated by God on the rigors of my activity, of my good activity. Lord, look at this. Wasn't that a great sermon? Can't you give me something for that? Doesn't that count for anything? You know, can I go up a notch in my transformation of life? Or, or, or I, was, I was nice to Mr. Incredible this week. Can I, can I somehow get some credit for that? Would you please grow me because of that? And I so want the rigors of my good activity to count for something. <laughs> I'm adding to the gospel. What counts is the vitality at any given moment of my relatedness to Jesus Christ. That's what counts in your life. So um, adding anything that gets in the way is a huge problem. Anything you are doing without Christ is not Christian living. We have, um, we have struggled to trust Trust Christ and the Holy Spirit. We trust Him for our salvation. We have trouble trusting Him to grow us and to keep us. You know, um, Paul calls it deserting the one who, who, who rescued you so quickly. Now, um, one of the great um, counters to not trusting in Christ alone is to be a person of prayer. But even there, we can, we can abuse prayer. We can, we can allow prayer to become that burden that, yokes, that, that puts us back in a yoke of slavery. You ask people, did you pray about this? Oh, yeah, I prayed about it. Well, I mean, you know, now I realize I have to qualify that. And my qualification is this. Did you just tell Jesus? Or did you ask Jesus? Because, see, a lot of our prayer is, Oh, yeah, I talked to Jesus. I told him exactly how he should run the universe and what he should do in my life. That's not prayer. Did you ask Jesus? That's prayer. Did you ask him what his will is for this situation? Think about it. Do you think, do you think we could trust every decision of our lives? If you, if you took away every standard, every rule, every old strategy you ever had, everything you ever learned in the past, and you just did this in your life, for everything you do, every thought you have, every choice you're going to make, every direction you're thinking about, you asked Jesus first what his will was. Do you think we could trust that? Could we trust that in our church? Couldn't we? I don't know. Jesus, not sure. I know you think I'm just dramatizing something really foolish in front of you, but to be honest, come on, that's the way we live. We're not trusting Jesus. 
Not the freedom, Jesus, we're talking about here. Anything you think you need to do in addition to Christ alone to get good with God is not the gospel. It's living a game by your own power. Now, let me just rattle off quickly four quick applications. We'll expand upon them in the coming days. This is what big, free gospel living is. We're, we're going to talk about big, free gospel living. We're going to be big, free people. The first is this. Are you reading the word of God, the gospel, to hear it or to fit it into the way you want to live? Some have called Galatians a very uncomfortable epistle. And it is. very. Un- if you think there aren't a lot of ouch moments in this thing... You haven't read the book of Galatians. There is no invitation from God to read this, the gospel, as a buffet or a progressive dinner. This is the food for life, as it is. It seems to me that way too many of us have not looked at the word of God on the basis of what it says, but rather on the basis of what I want it to say. And I can tell you, as a pastor, I'm always trying to be very careful to guard myself from telling you what I want it to say. Or trying to shape my preference, somehow morph it into the Word of God and get it out to you. My preference is irrelevant, as is yours. The only preference that counts is God's preference. And so we need to guard ourselves, guard each other. Are we making sure that we are actually challenging each other, not on these silly nonsense things, but that we are truly challenging each other on what the Bible really says, not what I want it to say. And I can tell you, whatever teachers you've had in the past or pastors in the past are not immune to telling you what they want the Word of God to say as opposed to what it actually says. That's why you have the Holy Spirit and you have your Bible and you must see if these things are so. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was teaching his student pastors, refused to allow his students to ever criticize a sermon, which is quite unusual in homiletics. His attitude was the word of God is to be heard and heeded, never evaluated or debated. Secondly, are your ways of doing God's word human constructs or maneuvered to please people or truly based upon the design of God? The Judaizers, who we're going to talk about, the people who are bugging the new Christians in the Galatian text here, we'll we'll cover that tonight a little bit, were were simply people pleasers. They said, hey, you know what, Paul and all your cronies and all this stuff called Christianity, fine. Go ahead, add it. But you must continue to practice the Jewish traditions. You can go ahead, add Jesus to your life if you want to, but you better be circumcised, you better take ritual baths, and you better pay attention to the 613 ceremonial 
laws of Moses. Go ahead, add Jesus. So we look at this and we say, well, weren't they nasty people? While we hold each other accountable for translations, for style, for clothing, for customs, for traditions, for rules from our past, certain food. Let me ask you, did any of those things that I just named save you? Not a one. And not one of those things can keep you either. It's Christ alone. The work of the Holy Spirit alone in your life. Are you people-pleasing or God-pleasing? You know, Satan wants us to be distracted here. He wants us to fight about stuff that has nothing to do with the gospel. Are you confusing the gospel with styling customs, cultural preferences, or differences in traditions? Some people think that if we change styles, we change customs, we change methods, we change traditions, we're tampering with the gospel. Nothing to be further from the truth. Those things have nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died, gave his life as a sacrifice to rescue us from this present evil age, from all of those trappings and strategies and tactics and rules and human constructs that couldn't save us in the first place. Paul says you should be abiding by the gospel that we preached and the gospel that you accepted. That's it. If you want to fight for something, beloved, can I suggest that you fight for the gospel? Fight for the gospel. Fight with your kids over the gospel. Don't fight with your kids over stylings and customs and traditions. I'm telling you how I raised my own children. I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting with my kids over cultural stylings, traditions, old rules and rituals and all that stuff from the past that didn't do me a lick of good. I'm not fighting with them for that. I am fighting with them for the gospel and it alone. I'm fighting for them that they will please and serve the Lord God. I'm fighting that they will consult the Lord over every decision, over every minute of their lives. I'm fighting for them to walk in the spirit of God. And then I can trust their decisions. If you must fight with someone, because you're Irish or something, I mean, I can say that because I, I am. Then fight against the people who intentionally fight against the gospel. Do we know the difference between supporting the right of other religions to exist and considering all religions equally valid? That's not the freedom that Christ is talking about here. Does anything go? No. There's only the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then there's everything else. We are to grant no charity toward a determined effort to oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul twice said, Let them be accursed, let them be anathema, let them be devoted to destruction, let them go to hell. If they are purposely fighting against the gospel, 
I'm not talking, Paul's not talking here about people who don't even know about the gospel or are duped or whatever. He's not talking about that. He's talking about people who have heard the gospel truth and they are intentionally perverting, confusing, stealing people away, distracting them from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me conclude. Are you trying harder in your life? Frustrated? Insecure? Are you taking advantage of grace? Sinning all the time? Are you living by faith in the Son of God in Christ alone? Those are your three options. And I pray, and I'm going to fight for it, that you're living by faith in Christ alone. Our Father and our God, thank you for this amazing work that you inspired the Apostle Paul to record. It is so, so important for us. It is so necessary in terms of a course correction in our lives to make sure that we measure our lives against the truth of the gospel, not against all of the other man-made standards and rules and all the tradition and customs and structures around us. Lord, let us trust in Christ alone and in the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. You saved us. And you alone can grow us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. In the name of Christ alone, amen. How are the people of the world, how do, how do they function in life? What, what do they use as the power, the structures in their lives? They are controlled by sin and by themselves. So what's the big contrast for us? It is we have been set free. It is for freedom that we have been set free. We have been set free from the power of sin in our lives so that we don't have to sin anymore. And the working of the Holy Spirit of God will ensure that we operate in that power. We have been set free from relying on ourselves, from relying on our own strategies, from our own strength, from our own standards, from our old artificial rules. None of those things have ever been successful in my life. They weren't successful to bring you to Christ. They're not successful to keep you in Christ. They're not successful to grow you in Christ. And they're not successful to take you home to Christ. Christ alone is the only power resident in your life that can be trusted to supervise and superintend your life. That's what you've been free. Freed from. You've been freed from yourself and from your sin. So as we go through this series, let's really embrace what that means in our lives and do a complete audit of your whole life. Is it Christ alone and the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, growing you, transforming you, changing you? That's it. Lord, let us be free. You paid with your life for our freedom. Let us please, please, Lord, experience it fully in Jesus' name to know what it feels to be free. Amen.